following is a message from Pastor Kelly Hewitt and Live It, a ministry of St. Marcus. For more information or for message notes, go to www.liveitmke.org. Tonight we're going to do things a little bit old school in that there's going to be nothing on the screen. I know that's weird. Very weird. But I gave it all to you in your, pa- in your bulletin tonight. And part of the reason for that is we're, as we walk through the fifth chapter of Nehemiah, which is where we're at tonight, we need to see the whole thing. And I really didn't want to be that mean to our media people or to you and either have eight-point font on the screen or have them clicking the button every 30 seconds to make it through. And so I just decided we're going to print it off and we're going to talk through it. And where we're at in the book of Nehemiah is last week, we, we were talking about how, the book, how Nehemiah had come back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls, right? And they faced some opposition. And they faced some opposition from outside and from inside. And the outside opposition was the regional kings that were threatening to attack. And then there was the internal. And there was a catchphrase. Some of you were here, were here last week. Do you remember what the phrase was? When opposition arises, do you remember what we said? Take it to God and get your butt back to work. So that's what was going on in, the book, in chapter 4. So as you read through the book of Nehemiah, book of, chapter 4 was they started building. And they got it halfway tall, and they were, they were met with criticism, and they kept building. And at the end of the chapter, the chapter ends with half the guys working and half the guys standing guard and everybody being brought into the city at night so you could serve not only as workers during the day, but as guards overnight. And there's this idea that you get the sense that there's this national pride happening. We actually are accomplishing something. We're building our city. And that's exciting. Um, For many of you who are around when Miller Park went up, that was an exciting time after watching the demolition of County Stadium. And there was a sense of Milwaukee was excited to have a new stadium as they mourned the old one, but were excited around something new. And that's what was going on. They started getting this national pride happening. And then you get to chapter 5. And if you are someone who is in leadership, if you are someone who ever hopes to be a leader, you need to read through the book of Nehemiah from, the, from a leader's perspective because it seems like as soon as he puts out one fire, there's another one that starts. It seems like he just gets done dealing with one major issue that could shut down all production and everything that's happening And he gets done with that one, and yet another one arises, and there's another problem he has to deal with and another situation. And so that's where we're at tonight is he gets done dealing with the external problems, and the people are back to working, and everything's happening. And you get to to Nehemiah chapter 5, beginning with the first verse. Now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their Jewish brothers. Some were saying, we and our sons and daughters are numerous In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. Others were saying we are mortgaging our fields and our vineyards and our homes to get grain during the famine. Still others are saying we've had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. Although we are of the same flesh and blood as our countrymen, and though our sons are as good as theirs, yet we have have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. So, 
Some of you, this is not so far back. If you go back to 2008, what happened in 2008 in our country? I know that's seven years ago. It's hard to think. What happened? Bernie Mac, you had the housing collapse. You had the market collapse. They weren't willing to call it a Great Depression. They called it a, a, a recession, not a depression. Jobs failed. People graduating college couldn't get jobs. People who owned homes lost homes. People who lost homes are still paying on those homes that they lost today, seven years later. They're saying market is finally rebuilding in some ways. That is nothing compared to what was happening in Jerusalem at this time. So these people all came into the city to, to help rebuild the walls. Now they're farmers. They, they run vineyards, whether it's olive vineyards or wine vineyards or whether they're doing uh, wheat fields. That's who these people are. That's their livelihood. Some of you know people. Some of you grew up on farms. You know what it is when you have a bad year, when a crop is bad. Well, this is, this is what's going on. It's a bad year. Everybody's losing their jobs. They're in the city. And in order to pay their bills, they end up selling things off. And sometimes they even ended up selling their children off for, as slaves. And that's, that's how bad and how desperate it was. But their issue, their issue was that their own people were doing this to them. It's one thing to be sold off to a Gentile. It's another thing for a Jewish person to buy you off and to keep you in debt. And that's what was happening. So take that picture of saying, guess what? If you knew so-and-so was having a financial hardship, this was money shark. This was loan sharking. That's what they were doing. We're not only going to take your mo- We're not only going to give you this money, but then we're going to be charging you such an interest rate that you will never be able to get out of it, and you will be continually indebted to us. Not only does that sound bad, not only does that sound unethical, not only does it sound illegal in America, but God also had said flat out that's not to happen. He's like, if someone needs your money, you are to loan it to a fellow Jew at no interest rate. So this is where you have this picture of national pride. These people are working hand in hand with these other people, and in the process, they are selling off their homes to them. And imagine going to work tomorrow, and your boss owns your house, your boss owns your car, and by the way, he owns your sister too. How would you feel about working alongside that guy tomorrow? With the knowledge that odds are you, he's going to own you by the end of the week, literally. You will no longer go home. Something we don't even picture today, something that we can't get our minds around today. You had some of that when you had organized crime in the 20s here, and some of that happening in the oil mines and things like that, but that's not something we understand. It's not something that we put into context. But what you're getting this picture of from in Nehemiah is this, you are seeing how wretched people's hearts can become. And these are people who claim to be followers of God, right? Their names are the ones who are listed in chapter 3 as being the people who were putting up the money to build the walls. These are people who are going to church regularly but had unethical business practices. So you get to, chapter, to verse 6. Nehemiah, he just gets done dealing with all of these people from the outside who tried to attack him, and now he's dealing with these people who are basically being enslaved by their brothers and sisters. So when he heard their outcry and these charges, when I heard these, their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. I pondered them in my mind. 
And then I accuse the nobles and the officials. He sees a sin. And this is something that's very unpopular. He sees their sin. He sees them actively sinning against God. He sees them actively sinning against somebody else. And what's he do? He confronts it. He says, here's what we need to do, folks. This is what happens in our own lives. We don't like to do these things. I'm going to tell you, as a leader, today, if, you go in, if you're in corporate world, when is the last time you could actually point out that somebody did something wrong and it meant anything? Today, it's just, oh, you're complaining. Oh, I'm just trying to pass the buck. So here's what Nehemiah does. He says, here's the deal. I'm going to confront it. You are exacting usury. That's loan sharking. Old Testament talk for loan sharking. You are, you, you, are, you are exorbitant taxing them for your own countrymen. So I called together a large meeting to deal with them, and I said, for as far as possible, we have brought back, bought back our Jewish brothers who were sold to the Gentiles. Now you are selling your brothers only for them to be sold back to us. They kept quiet because they could find nothing to say. He just basically said, hey, folks, we've been spending all of our money to buy these people out of slavery And as we buy them out of slavery, you are selling them back into slavery. Stop it. And they're sitting there going, um, how do we respond? Have you ever had that point where somebody's confronted you on a sin? And they've confronted you on something so blatant that you're just like, I can't respond because they're so right? That's what happens. He confronts it. They kept quiet. So I continued. What you are doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in fear of our God to... Avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies. Here's the deal. Do you not get that what you're doing is giving God a black eye? Not only do you not care what he has to say, not only do you not care that he says don't do this, but you also are saying to our Gentile enemies, those who we've been buying people back from, that we've been trying to witness what it is and what a loving and generous God we have, and you are showing the epitome of selfishness and greed. You have no love and compassion for your fellow human. You are all about how do I pad my pockets? How do I make more money for me? How do I have the bigger house? How do I have the more toys? How do I get to a better place? That's what he's accusing them of. And he's like, guess what? The Gentiles can accuse you of not even being Christian, of not even being Jewish followers, because you don't even uphold that which you say you believe. How many non-Christian friends have accused you of that? Right? If I looked at your, if we took video footage for the last 72 hours of your life, would we be able to say your life reflects Christ? Or would they say your life reflects one who doesn't follow Christ? That's what he's saying. Hey, folks, your lives don't reflect it. Your lives don't get it. So we get to, the, to verse 10. And my brothers and my men are also lending the people money and grain But let the exacting of usury stop. Give back to them immediately their fields, vineyards, olives, groves, and houses, and also the usury you are charging them. The hundredth part of the money, grain, new wine, and oil. That's the picture of saying, hey, we're taking a twelfth. So of everything, not on top of the taxes and everything else, we're taking a twelfth on top of all of that. So not only do I own everything, I'm also taking the additional money on top of whatever's being made. And his picture here and what he's saying is follow my example, follow my lead. I'm telling you to stop not because I'm, not, I'm one who's so much better than you. I'm telling you to stop as one who's been doing it, but not exacting usury. This is how you do it. This is how you give. This is how you be generous. Watch my example. Watch my men's example. Do you see us charging exorbitant rates? No. 
this is the part that is just flabbergasting to me. Read the first five words together with me of verse 12. We will give it back. We will give it back. That's, a, that's something that doesn't happen today. If somebody catches you doing something wrong, what's our first, what's our first reaction? We become defensive. After we become defensive, we do what? We shift the blame and attack somebody else. Well, it's really so-and-so's fault, or it's really your fault. We pull the atom. Well, it's your fault. You gave me Eve. That's the picture. And except for what we don't see here is, you see, Nehemiah confronts the sin, and what do the guys do? The leaders confess it. They acknowledge their sin. They say, we've screwed up. They say, okay, we're going to give it back. And we will not demand anything more from them. We will do as you say. When hearts are changed, lives are changed. When you see what happens here is you see people are walking down one path. And this is where this chapter is just fascinating to me. And why I wanted the whole thing before us is because you see them walking down this path of living like the world. And you, and you see that on the first column. They're walking as the world, and then they're confronted with their sin. And just like us, we're confronted with our sin, and we have two directions. We can deny it and reject that we're doing it, or we can confess it, and Christ will change our hearts and our lives, and that will change how we interact with others. And that's what you're seeing here. You see their hearts being changed because they know what they've been doing is wrong, and they want to reflect the love that God has for them. And so they continue, we will give it back. Then I summoned the priests and made the nobles and officials take an oath to do what they had promised. I also shook out the folds of my robe and said, In this way, may God shake out of his house and and possessions every man who does not keep this promise. So may such a man be shaken and emptied out. This is the picture that he has. Today we don't have robes that have folds. He empties his pockets with the picture that says, I'd empty this one except for the microphone will fall. He'd empties his pockets and say, just like I'm pulling lint out of my pocket and throwing it on the ground, that's what God's going to do to everyone who doesn't keep this command. You're inside God's family, but God's going to pull you like lint from inside his pocket and drop you on the ground if you don't keep this promise. You see, God's a loving God, a God who's merciful, who's loving, who sent his son to die for us. But if you keep claiming to be his and rejecting him at the same time, that's what he says. Guess what? Just like lint. Because then you're not really following him. You're not really loving him. And that's a hard thing because guess what? When we start living and hearing and having him truly work in our hearts, our lives are impacted. We can't continue going down both roads. The Apostle Paul writes about it in Galatians chapter 5 when he says, anyone who's continuing to live in such a way And then he lists a long list of things which has sexual immorality, debauchery, drunkenness, greedy, selfishness. He has all these long things. And he says, none of these people can inherit the kingdom of God because your heart can't be ruled both by God and by greed. Your heart can't be ruled both by God and by stuff. And so what you see here is this great picture. And the people did as they had promised. You see this picture of people saying we sinned we were confronted with our sin. 
And now we're going to change how we live. And then they did it. I think that's probably the most impressive piece is not that they just confessed it, not that they say they would do it, but that it's actually recorded that their lives were changed. They changed how they lived, how they acted. And here's where you understand why. Moreover, from the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when I was appointed to be their governor of the land of Judah, until the 32nd year, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allotted to the governor. Here's what he's saying. Now this, he flash forwards for us and he inserts a comment. So that he writes this, this is recounting back. So he says, I made this comment. And this is where we see unity and generosity. This is where we start seeing that picture change. He says, guess what, folks? I set the example. I set the example, and this whole last section is about him setting the example of saying, guess what? This is how you do it. If somebody needs something, you share with them. If somebody needs, to, needs food, you give them food. If somebody needs you to help pay their taxes, you help pay their taxes. If somebody needs to help move, you help them move. And this is one of those pictures. He's like, this is what it is to live out the love of Christ. When Jesus talks about this in John chapter 13, he says, this is how they will know that you are mine, by your actions. This is what love looks like. People will see how you are loving and living, and they will glorify your Father in heaven. You see the underlying sentence there. But, uh, but er, the earlier governors, those preceding me, placed a heavy burden on the people and took 40 shekels of silver from them in addition to the food and wine. Their assistants lorded it over the people. But out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. So here's how he says, this is what's different. I don't do any of those things, not because I can't, not because it's not my right, But because in love for who God is and what God has done for me, I'm not going to. Because I see how you're hurting. I see how you need to be shown that love right now. So I'm not going to use my governmental rights to hurt you. Instead, I'm going to show you what it is to love. And he goes on and he says, guess what? I killed X number of animals every day just to feed people and I paid for it. See, Nehemiah understands something that we don't always grasp. There's a, there's a fascinating statistic. Raise your hand if you think you make somewhere more than 20000 We're not saying how much, just more than 20000 a year. You are in the top 3%, 3.6% in the world of wealth. There are 965 94.5. Yeah, 96.5. I'm, I'm horrible at math. People who percent of people on this planet are poorer than you. Do you realize that? If you make more than $35,000 a year gross, you are in the top 0.81% of wealthiest people in the world. You see, what we're getting the picture of is this picture that we, we get so ingrained and so, so wrapped up in who we are that we don't have enough, that we're broke, that we can't pay for the things, the extra things we want. And it's the same picture Nehemiah is saying. He's like, guess what, folks? We have so much. God didn't give you stuff so you could acquire more stuff for yourself. He gave you stuff so that you could show his love to others. And how are you showing out that love? That love that he says, I'm going to do this for you so that you can show others who I am. You see, that's the amazing picture where, where he ends out this chapter. He could have ended it on, hey, and the books are balanced, but he ends this chapter on this picture of saying, 
out of reverence for God, out of love for God, my life has changed. Because I know who God is, I know what he's done, and I know that no matter what my past has been, he's forgiven it. And that's the picture he's laying forth here. doesn't matter. Sometimes we're the ones who are receiving help, and sometimes we're the ones who are able to give help. And what Nehemiah is laying out here is this picture that it isn't through building a city that there's going to be unity. It isn't through debt that there's unity. It's through displaying the love of Christ and what Christ has done for us that there's unity and community. And so what you end up seeing here as you go through the rest of the book of Nehemiah, and we're going to get a transition point next week, is this picture of the community going from a community of people that are all concerned about themselves and partially concerned about the city to being a community that is engaged in each other and showing the love of God to each other and to those that are around them. Because it's no longer about me, but it's about what Christ has done for me or what God has done for me. The love of our Savior, the love of the one who came to die for us. And so you start seeing this switch in the entirety of the book from me to we. This picture that they are now a community of believers who are all focused not on themselves, but on their Lord and what it means to worship. And so that's where this is a fantastic transition point. And we're going to launch a little bit more into that next week. And we get to see who God is and what he's been doing through the book of Nehemiah and what he's been doing for us. And Koine is going to be coming up here in a moment. And they're going to be singing one of their new songs, um, Lord, You Love the Cheerful Giver. Koine, if you guys want to start working your way up here. And it's one that I'm going to encourage you after worship tonight to go and find the video on Koine's YouTube page. And it's the video that they put up for Visit that they did this song for. Because what you're going to realize as you go through that video and as you look closely, there's coins. And we always associate generosity in this whole picture with money. And the reality is, is it's not money. It's your talents, your gifts, and who God has made you to be. How are you showing his love? And as they sing the song tonight, I want you to be focused on those words and what that means. The love that Christ has shown you, the love that God has given you, how are you able to live out that love each and every day? Who is God placing in your life that needs to be shown that love? And who is he placing in your life to show you his love? Amen.